0: This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, it's the ultimate showdown of Ultimate Destiny! (laughs)
1: Hello everyone. Welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show where we're putting the humanities back into science fiction. My name is Gep, and I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi. And this week was one of the most famously weird episodes. I am willing to bet that most people who are like not intimately familiar with Star Trek: The Original Series know of this episode but only because of a character who is in it and don't know anything about else about the episode.
0: Yes. <laughs> I was kind of in a similar boat myself actually. This is what I, I, think I thought I'd seen too. Part of it before this, but yeah. Like I'd, I'd heard
1: of this. And then every time we saw like Kirk fighting something on a planet, like every time that was the preview, like when Kirk fights the gorn was like oh this is the one because this this is when he's going to show up and then it's like no and then we saw the paradise syndrome thing and it's it's kirk fighting the giant hairy mammoth mammothy like sasquatch dude it's like oh is this yeah. the one where the guy shows up cuz i know there's this weird team up fight coming and it's like no it's <laughs> not that one and then it's this one and he's just
0: just there and so uh <laughs> and so yeah so we got kirk spock surak and Lincoln, yeah. Abraham fame.
1: Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Serac, who's Vulcan Jesus.
0: Yes. Yeah, well known for his pacifist ways and, uh, you know, being all logical and non-emotional.
1: Yeah, which go together for some reason.
0: Yes. <laughs> because Vulcans, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I also just, I don't have it in my notes, so I'll just say, because I'm staring at it on the screen... He's so the Serac guy is the father of Vulcan philosophy, and Vulcan philosophy apparently is named Nom. 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 Nom.
0: Nom, nom, nom. nom yeah.
1: Nom. nom. nom <laughs> Your philosophy nom. is named after eating a thing. <laughs> nom.
0: Well, maybe it's because they're. They're eating their emotions and they're digesting them (laughs) in a safe manner.
1: Yeah, that's the only difference. That's why they have such a thing about him being half human. Because the Vulcan metabolism just lets them constantly stress eat their emotions.
0: There you go. (laughs) And so Spock has to be a little more careful on that front.
1: Yeah, he can't eat as many Doritos to hide his feelings as the other Vulcans can. Because he's going (laughs) to give fat.
0: So, uh, you know, being a, a Starfleet officer keep, gives them a lot of exercise to help burn off that fat. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we got some characters this week.
1: <laughs> yes. So our guest stars, I included a lot of guest stars. There's a lot of people in this, and I decided to just include everyone, because sometimes I've missed some important characters by trying to streamline it. So, yeah. First is Lee... Uh, Burgey... <laughs> I don't know how to say Bear this Gary name. Or, Berger? Yeah, yeah. Lee Berger as President Abraham Lincoln.
0: Wait wait, a moment. Lincoln? Lee? I think he's going to have an internal conflict then. <laughs> Maybe some sort of self-civil war. Anyway.
1: So he's a Broadway actor starting in the uh, early 30s, but he's best known for his TV role on the 1980s version of Dynasty.
0: Also on a couple other uh, shows throughout those periods of time, he was also in a show called Lincoln, but not as Lincoln. So,
1: oh, that's a waste. When Next Generation needed a historical figure, they got a guy who was like known for impersonating Mark Twain. Like that was the whole thing that guy did was impersonate Mark Twain. This is apparently just some dude that they got and gave a hat.
0: Yes. I don't know, he, he seemed like they were trying to make him sort of come off as tall but Lincoln was a little taller than this guy I think. Yeah, Lincoln so
1: anyway. was almost 8 feet tall and this... he wore a giant hat so and he had like a high squeaky voice
0: person the universe. Yeah. All
1: right, We also have uh, Barry Atwater playing Serac was uh, popular in guest starring roles in this period, just like everybody else on this. was in Wild Wild West, Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, Man from Uncle, you've heard it before.
0: Yes, and the FBI,
1: just like Lee was. (laughs) (laughs) Philip Pine is playing Colonel Philip Green, a dude we've never heard of before or since. He was another regular in guest spots from the 50s to the 80s. He was on Outer Limits, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, Twilight Zone, rag
0: and Train. The usual the suspects there. Emergency, uh, uh, Hill Street Blues in the 80s, all the way up there. And Quincy.
1: Errol Balton, Chief Security Guard. Unnamed, but Chief Security Guard. Yep. Who is introduced, apparently, as a senior staff member. Is introduced as a senior staff member.
0: But this is the first time I've ever seen this guy, so...
1: He was in a lot of B-movies in the 70s and 80s and TV guest stops up into the early thousands or whatever we're calling it.
0: Also, oddly enough, he was on a, a security guard on a, a show called Good vs. Evil.
1: That's interesting.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> we've got a few, we've got three people that I'm going to run through really quickly because they are all stunt actors. But it's kind of nice that they got to do something. Uh, yes. Carol Daniels Dement is playing a character called Zora, not from Zelda.
0: Yep, uh, a different Zora.
1: They uh, they were a well known stunt actor who did like a lot of stunts in TV and movie roles in the 60s and 80s, but usually just didn't have line parts.
0: Yes, uh, apparently she was also in uh, Star Trek: The Original Series as a stunt person.
1: Yeah, or I think I think like <laughs> most of them were. She was in like the Imagine in the Miragerie. The next guy, Robert Heron, who plays is also a stunt actor, who previously played the guy Sam, who was killed off in Charlie X. Oh yeah. He was also the stunt double for Jeffrey Hunter in the original pilot.
0: Uh, the, yeah that was a uh, Pike, yes?
1: Yes. Though this guy, I mean, they just do not care in this era of TV if the stunt actors look anything remotely like the actors.
0: If they need a different hair color, just put a wig on them and then no one will tell a difference.
1: This guy is twice as big as either Kirk or Pike.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> then we have Nathan Young playing Genghis Khan. He was a Chinese American actor and stunt person. Uh, doing both acting and stunts in shows like Kung Fu, M.A.S.H., General Hospital, Skarski, Hutch. It's
0: also on something called Baby.
1: Finally, we've got uh, Bart LaRue, who's the voice of Yarnick. Yarnick. I don't think this character's ever introduced by name.
0: <laughs> I don't think so.
1: The Yarnick, voice actor for contemporary shows like Mission Impossible and The Brady Bunch.
0: Hmm. Wait. He was also a giant rock monster in the Brady Bunch.
1: Yeah, you didn't. You don't remember that episode where? No. Jan is Jan a Brady. I don't remember the Bradys. <laughs> <laughs> the one where they made too much spaghetti and then threw it on a giant rock monster, and then it's caught the house on fire, and they learned a lesson about the duality of man.
0: Yes, there we go. Yes. Okay, now it's coming. Kind of, kind Classic
1: of Brady Bunch episode. <laughs> Finally, somebody who we've seen several times before is Janos Prohaska, Janos, Russian name, Prohaska, who uh, we've seen playing a, well, he played a bird in human, like a bird human in the cage, apparently, like a bird dude. In the cage, in the original like pilot episode, and in the like menagerie, he was like a giant bird guy in that. I didn't know that.
0: Uh, maybe it was uh, during the the Orion dancing scene. There's a bunch of random people in the background.
1: Either that, or one of the like other specimens that they have in the yes. like museumy area. So I didn't know he was in that. Uh, he also played the devil in the dark.
0: Yes, the hawter.
1: And then. As I mentioned before, in the um, the, big, the big monkey, yeah, the big monkey, the Mugatu, which I was wrong—that was in Private Little War, not in Paradise Syndrome.
0: Also, apparently,
1: one of the most appearing guest stars in original series. Like he's been in more episodes than any other recurring star- like guest character. Oh, yeah.
0: Just a Because like the
1: o- basically the only one who's not on the crew is Mud, and he only showed up in two episodes. This person's been in like four. Just as various aliens,
0: <laughs> put him in a, in a costume, no one will notice. <laughs> that's kind
1: of fun. He was just the go-to dude for, for like, animal acting.
0: Yes, we need a, a, a monster of some sort, and uh, put, a, put this guy in a suit. Uh, okay, I did last time. Well, that's cool. You know what you're doing then. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. All
1: right. All right. This episode is going to be a mess, so we should jump in.
0: All right. Let's. Where do we, Where do we begin? Uh,
1: we begin in orbit of a lava planet. Neat. This place is completely hostile to all human life. They are investigating completely impossible signs of life that were reported on the planet. Hmm.
0: So um, is there maybe a crashed spaceship perhaps? perhaps? Or an underground civilization?
1: They say that, they, that there are like space rumors, basically. It's a space legend.
0: Ah, one of those planets.
1: Just as they're about to leave, the ship is scanned by something.
0: Well, the guys could have said hello earlier.
1: It's completely, it's completely juvenile, but they said they were being probed hard and fast.
0: Oh, my.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, giant floating Abraham Lincoln, sitting in a big leather chair, appears in space in front of them on the view screen.
0: So, are we on drugs? I think this might be one of the side effects of that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. All of a sudden... There's this giant floating Lincoln without any, anything.
0: Out in space, apparently. He
1: even calls it out. He goes, you're not going to believe this, but yes, I'm definitely Lincoln.
0: Believe me, for reals.
1: And also they're going to be over his position in about 12 minutes and they can beam him aboard then to discuss whatever's going on. And as soon as he disappears a small area of the planet, conveniently about 12 minutes away in their current orbit, suddenly becomes earth-like and habitable.
0: Well, that's convenient. Wait a moment. Is this planet like covered in a weird like cloaking device sort of thing? And there's like a whole bunch of historical figures there just kinda of hanging out. They've been abducted by aliens and stuff like that.
1: Oh, that would have been cool. That'd be like Requiem for Methuselah and Lincoln.
0: Yes. <laughs> Alternatively, it'd be like uh, uh uh Dracula from uh Dr. McNinja <laughs> who has a moon base and keeps a bunch of historical figures there uh alive forever. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Kirk orders that the senior staff report to the transporter room in full dress uniform for presidential honors.
0: Oh, cool. Um, so like Federation president sort of honors here or like somebody else's president? Because I'm pretty sure the United States doesn't exist at this point in time.
1: Yeah, they don't specify probably Federation president, though they play hail to the chief.
0: Which is a little corny, but I guess it works. (laughs) Kirk and the senior staff greet
1: Lincoln when he beams aboard. Lincoln is amazed at the wonders of future modern technology, including the transporter and the taped music. How is there not a band?
0: (laughs) Oh my! Holy smokes, I've just transported through the, uh, you know, from a planet to a spaceship, and I'm surprised that there's not a band. Okay.
1: (laughs) Oh my, your ship flies through the ether of the unexplored domain of God. Yeah, that, that level of junk. Yes. <laughs> McCoy examines him to find him completely human. So fine. But is he
0: more is he more human than human?
1: <laughs> Kirk Spock and Lincoln head off to the bridge. While Scotty and McCoy are like, Hey, just before I beamed up this Lincoln dude, he looked like he was a giant rock with claws, but then you know, he's Lincoln. So maybe fine.
0: We're probably okay. He's he's linking now, Lincoln now at least, so you know.
1: Yeah, he's currently Lincoln. So as soon as Lincoln gets to the bridge, he meets Ahura. And he says racist things to Ahura. Whoops. And I see what they're trying to do here. Because I saw someone mention this ages ago as a scene they liked. Because what they're trying to do is have him say something racist and be like, oh... Sorry, that was racist. And them all to go, what the heck is racism? We're so far beyond this that it doesn't even make sense that anyone would be bothered or offended.
0: I, can, I guess I can uh, endorse what they're trying to do, but it's just really super heavy-handed. And all.
1: Right, well, no, it's not heavy-handed. Because what they were trying to do was that. What they actually did was have her say, it's okay... I've learned to not be offended by things now because I'm secure in who I am. And that is apparently how we fixed racism.
0: It's a little more complicated than that, guys.
1: Because the key to fixing racism is for the people who are being systematically oppressed in a racist system to be okay with themselves.
0: It's not how things work. Come on, 60s people, get better.
1: Yeah. And then Kurt gets to have a speech about how the Vulcans figured this out before they even did. and Oh my god. It's just, it's, their entire philosophy is about being okay with who you are. It's like they hit the, like, 90s self-esteem thing early.
0: I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, Vulcans like me.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's the actual problem here. Not the yes. thing they were trying to do. I'm sure there'd be a way to pull that off. It's nothing like what they did here, because what they did here was blame people who are suffering under a systematically oppressive system for their own
0: oppression. Which is kind of bullshit.
1: Okay, so, (laughs) we say the thing about the Vulcan philosophy. Lincoln goes, oh, I know about Vulcan philosophy, but I don't know how I know. Also, I know you're going to meet a Vulcan down on the planet. He's cool, probably, but I can't remember who he is.
0: Well, that's kind of weird, because... Everyone that's living down there just have terrible memories where they just kind of get impressions that they know things or something. But well,
1: Yeah. Well, every now and then he's like, here's a thing that's plot relevant. How did I know that? We
0: don't know. How did you know that?
1: <laughs> so Kirk and Spock leave Lincoln to roam untended around the ship, apparently, and go to the briefing room.
0: Yeah, well, they, they do this occasionally. Some days they're like, we're going to actually do our jobs here. Other times like, eh, it's Lincoln. and he might be an alien entity of some sort, but we don't really care, because he's cool.
1: Oh, once there, McCoy and Scotty are like, why are we doing this? Why are yes. we treating this random imposter dude like he's the president? Everyone thinks you're crazy. Yes. <laughs> And Kirk goes, "Well, we have no idea who this dude is, and we should play along because he might be a powerful enough to like destroy the ship if we don't take him at his word."
0: All right. Well, we don't really have much in the way of evidence that he's a superpower being like that, but uh, other than existing, but yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Spock thinks it's perfectly clear that whatever's going on impersonated Lincoln because Lincoln's always been a personal hero to Kirk, as we've heard so many times. <laughs> Can't stop talking about Lincoln.
0: Lincoln this, Lincoln that. Uh, You know, uh, in his his captain's longs, he he wants to call them Lincoln Logs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Those were the most boring toy. I had
0: fun with them, though. Yeah. (laughs) So,
1: since Lincoln's invited them down to the planet, in order to figure out what's going on... Kirk and Spock want to beam down, but Scotty points out that's a ridiculously bad idea because it's a weird change to the surface that they have no way of knowing if is real, and they might beam down onto a lava planet where they will immediately die.
0: Yep. So, um, don't do this. It's really dumb.
1: And Kirk goes, our whole mission is to do this whole seek out life thing. So off
0: we go. Bye. Um, Scotty, you're in charge now, I guess. Yep.
1: So, Kirk, Spock, and Lincoln beam down to the planet. There is no lava, but also they don't get to keep their weapons or tricorders.
0: Aw, oh, man. All our gadgets.
1: Lincoln has no explanation for what's going on because he's dumb. Uh, but he still believes that he is Lincoln. Nothing but Lincoln over yeah, here. I'm
0: Lincoln, guys.
1: Also, here's you know Spock's hero, Sirach, founder of the modern Vulcan way of life and pacifism oh. and controlling your emotions.
0: Sirach's... A little sparmy, but you know we can forgive that
1: also on the ship they started losing power and don't have any control of the engine so that's neither here nor there
0: yeah what's the happening on the ship is only kind of marginally important at this point for the, re- for the rest of the episode
1: sirak and spock exchange pleasantries for a bit and then a nearby boulder turns into a large creature with light up eyes and claws It introduces itself as one of the natives of the planet, and the reason that they've been invited here is to participate in the study they're performing on the nature of the concept of good and evil. They apparently don't have this concept in their society, and they find it deeply confusing. So in order to understand it, they've brought Kirk, Spock, Lincoln, and Serac here to be the good guy team. And then all of a sudden, four other humanoids appear. Genghis Khan, the Klingon Kalos, who is introduced as the progenitor of the Klingon way of life, Colonel Green, who's apparently some human dude who did genocides.
0: Yes, in the early 21st century. Wait a moment. (laughs) That's right now. Oh, gosh.
1: And Zora, who apparently did some sort of genetic experimentation on people somewhere.
0: So evil scientist lady.
1: Yeah. So they're here to fight, basically. They even turn on the view screen on the Enterprise so people can watch. It's the Gorin all over again.
0: Yes, we want to make sure that the rest of the cast has something to do while you get you know you guys uh, fight to the death here. Don't don't worry about it.
1: So that's it. Fight to the death. Go prove yes. which philosophy is best. Kirk and Spock refuse to fight. they have no way to leave though? And mm-hmm. even Lincoln tells them there's nothing they can do until the rock people let them go.
0: All right, Lincoln, you're you're probably in on their side, but we'll we'll keep pretending you're on our sides. Okay.
1: Colonel Green approaches to. Kill Professor Plum in the library with a wrench
0: <laughs> no that's 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 Colonel Mustard and Mr. Green. Wait a moment, this is their love child.
1: <laughs> Mr. Green joined the Army and got promoted.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: So apparently Green has been appointed de facto leader of the villain side and proposes that they don't fight each other because it seems pretty obvious that their real enemy is the rock dude. Kirk comments on how much nicer Green seems than history portrays him, especially as he is notorious for ambushing people while he pretends to have peace talks.
0: Well, um, I guess while we have this peace talk to uh, try to team up against the rock monster, you won't betray us, will you?
1: Back of the bridge, the overhead view lets them see that all of the other villains are sneaking around the party until Genghis Khan throws a big rock and misses, and then they all run away.
0: Wait a moment. They're, they're reenacting the Princess Bride, that one scene. <laughs> Wait, never mind. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway.
1: So the rock guy appears again and goes, You're not fighting. I don't like how you're not fighting. How are we supposed to learn anything about good and evil if you don't fight each other? Also, Kirk tries to touch him and he's hot and he goes, You know, I live on a lava planet, right?
0: <laughs> so I'm always hot.
1: So the rock guy lets Kurt communicate with the ship briefly and goes, Hey, the ship's in the process of blowing up. The engines are overheating for no real reason
0: mm, again. Well, I guess I got to go fight to the death now. Yeah.
1: Rock guy says, Hey, this is your new incentive. You have four hours to defeat the villains or your ship explodes. Good luck.
0: Mm, well, this sucks. Um, I guess, uh, everyone huddle and then break up into the different sides of the, uh, A random bit bit of territory here and we'll see what happens.
1: Lincoln comments on history repeating itself as he is now forced again to war.
0: Hmm. Uh, this isn't really a house divided against itself though, man.
1: No, not really. (laughs) The crew spend the next little while not doing anything. Uh, Kalus spies on them and reports back that they're not really doing anything but Green wants to wait until they're finished making a bunch of weapons and preparing and have achieved overwhelming superiority.
0: Well, I guess that kind of makes sense from a strategic fashion. Uh, you know, if you're you know well-equipped and able to destroy your enemy without any losses, that's probably what you want to do, but uh, you know, I'm not sure how you're going to do that in the next four hours.
1: Meanwhile, Kirk has found some rocks that he thinks are a defensible position. Uh, he wants Spock to make a Vulcan boomerang that I'm very, very disappointed we didn't get to see.
0: Yes. <laughs> I want space boobarangs, dang it.
1: But Spock and Serac are not keen on fighting. It's against their Vulcan philosophy. Now, of course, Spock is going to if he needs to, because he has an intense loyalty to the Federation that will move him to fight, if necessary, to defend it. But Serac has no such compulsions and wants to go talk to their adversaries as he once did on his planet to achieve peace.
0: Yeah, all right. And uh, there's a little discussion about, uh, you know, pacifism and you know, how they managed to do it and, how a lot of people apparently had to go out and do this, and a lot of them died because they were just killed right out. Um, and so it's like, yeah, we've got to be kind of brave about this sort of thing, and it might not work, but you're not going to really you know, know until you try sort of stuff.
1: So Kirk agrees that he can't order Serac to stay, so he goes off to the villains unarmed. Uh, This seems to go well at first because Green's talking to him very amicably, but very soon the rest of the group hears screams and cries for help from Serac. Hello! Kirk wants to go help, but Spock points out that Vulcans would not scream in pain like this, so it's obviously a trap.
0: Well, um, it's nice knowing you, Serac. So what's plan B?
1: So Lincoln suggests that using his frontiersman-like skills, well-known sneaky dude Lincoln, he sneaks up behind the enemy camp, while the rest of the party tries a frontal assault, and he will find Serac. Cool.
0: Um, I think that's a, a workable plan, uh, Lincoln.
1: This works quite well, except that Sirak is dead, and Kalus oh. is there waiting for him.
0: Dang it, but, you know, Surprise! Surprise attack. Like, some sort of cowardly Romulan.
1: Lincoln stumbles out to Kirk and Spock before falling over dead with a spear in his back. So that's two of the good guys down. Dang it, Lincoln, you're supposed to be our ringer. This time it turns into an actual big fight. Kirk fights off Kaelas a little bit while Spock fights other people, Zola and Khan. Then he catches Green. Green falls down onto his own dagger and stabs himself. And the rest of the villains run away. And the Rock guy appears and declares Kirk the victor.
0: Well, uh, uh, hooray. Uh, So uh, can we go now? That was a very confusing
1: end to to the fight. (laughs)
0: <laughs> they, they sort of like to, you know, the rock guy is like, yeah, because the the other side is cowardly uh, ran away. They uh, they lose by default,
1: even though they all ran away earlier. Yes. <laughs> so now sure rock can... dudes like, okay, everything's done, but I don't really see the difference in your philosophies because you both resorted to violence.
0: Yeah. Well, for in this incredibly done, yeah.
1: contrived circumstance where I forced you to do violence.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, maybe, if we had our tricorders, maybe we could have figured out some means to i don't know transform the uh, you know the the, you know, the bad guys into some sort of i don't know original forms that they were in, and then you're like, well, we've undone your scenario we didn't have to kill anyone to do it that would be kind of cool, but now you didn't let us have it.
1: So to clarify, Kirk asks what the rock dude offered the villains to make them fight, and he says, of course, power, the thing that they wanted. What else? And then Kirk goes, well, you made us fight for the lives of our crew. Ha ha. That's the difference between good and evil. It's what we're fighting for.
0: Oh, uh, is that all?
1: Apparently. Yeah. (laughs) Also, what gives you all the right to run death matches anyway?
0: Yeah, that's kind kind of not cool, man. In fact, so Mike say that that's an evil thing to do. Mm-hmm. Rock
1: Guy says it's the same thing that lets them have the right to explore. They need to find out stuff. Um, now go.
0: <laughs> okay, maybe Kirk's a bad example about going into places and messing around with stuff. But anyway. <laughs> Back on the ship,
1: Kirk is sad that fake Lincoln is dead.
0: Hmm. Well, at least he wasn't uh, assassinated in the theater this time, I guess. Huh.
1: Now he understands how hard it was for Earth to achieve peace because Fank Lincoln is dead. Spock goes, well, maybe he was real Lincoln because he's exactly how you thought he was going to be from your mind. Which, sure, that means that he was real somehow.
0: He was real enough for you, Kirk, and that's all that matters.
1: Kirk orders them to break orbit and leave to do something else.
0: Once again, a ending that's basically... Let's get the hell out of here. Yep. <laughs> I need to, like, make a like, account a, a of how many episodes just kind of end like that. <laughs> All of them. It's like, well, that sucked. Let's
1: leave. I had that swear trick gif a while ago. I think I put it on Twitter.
0: <laughs>
1: I was like, well, oh, that place sucked.
0: <laughs> Let's go find another plan that's terrible.
1: <laughs> All right. There's no actual substance to this episode, so I think it might be better... It might be fun to, like, examine what the episode thinks it's actually saying.
0: Hmm, about good versus evil?
1: Yeah, because it's weird. It's interesting. It's setting up what is supposed to be a, like, deeply philosophical point on the difference between good and evil. The, like, two supposed dichotomies of human nature itself. And then it goes, like, they're the same! Except for what you're fighting for.
0: Guess... Well, I guess motivation is kind of an important thing uh, that, uh, you, know, you know, if you're going to be, you know, doing things for the wrong reasons, sometimes those, the outcomes might still be good, but you're still kind of a jerk because of how what you did it for.
1: Well, it very much depends because good and evil is such a arbitrarily binary concept. Mm hmm. And it creates its own sort of problems, because you could, in fact, define it that way, and often people do, that it's what your motivations are, it's what you're fighting for, it's whatever you're trying to achieve. But you wind up with a lot of problems, because anything that you're trying to do to achieve good is justifiable.
0: Yeah, and if that thing that you're doing is, say, you know, killing a lot of people in order to acquire that good that you see, suddenly... You have this problem that you've just killed a lot of people. And some folks might say that's a bad thing. Like me, I, I usually am against uh, rampant uh, murder. It's kind of a bad thing in my book. But anyway. And, and so, yeah, yeah it's, it's very much, you know, it's, you know it's, the, it's it becomes an ends justify the means sort of thing. And that can lead to a lot of problems.
1: You see, the the actual issue that you are hitting up on in the way they're presenting this in the episode is they're taking sort of the alien's methods at face value and presenting them as if they make sense. Which
0: they don't, but you know.
1: Yeah, in the context of the episode, this is what they're doing, which means you wind up with only one stated outcome to the situation. Whoever kills the other people wins, which means that the end of the thing for either the good or evil side is always going to be the same because that is what has been defined as your end goal is to completely overpower your enemy. Now, let's take out death because that's the arbitrariness of the episode, but what they're actually talking about is that your goal is to overpower your enemy.
0: To demonstrate your strength.
1: And you need to do that because they are not going to cooperate. There is no other option. You cannot convince them to do anything. They are just evil. They are the evil people who will always do evil things and therefore you cannot reach any other conclusion.
0: Indeed. Or I guess maybe even a little bit more than that, you know, independent of what they are, they are, they are going to resist you and try to destroy you. Yes. And so the, the being, having a label of evil is just kind of arbitrary on top of that.
1: So they, they basically demonstrated this with Serac and saying that in the entire Vulcan way of believing, the entire belief system that they set up as unemotional pacifism Is wrong because he got killed trying to achieve it.
0: Um, (laughs) Once again, yeah, it's now the the outcomes are disjustifying the 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 wand, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's basically a comment on pacifism that pacifism is useless because you are unable to defend yourself against someone who is willing to employ violence
0: you know, Seraq could have just tried to leave, right?
1: Yeah, well, this is like total... This is an argument against total pacifism, which one, not very many people argue for. But also the idea of total pacifism is a individual value. The fact that the character was willing to risk sacrificing himself to uphold his values is somehow framed as wrong.
0: Really, it's... This is the way he wants to live. This is the way he wants to, you know, interact within the world. And sure, it has a bad outcome for him in the end, but that's still his right and his prerogative. And that's not a bad thing.
1: Well, that's some of the idea. If you hold strongly enough to a particular, like, moral belief, often you would be willing to, like, carry that belief out even if it did put you in harm's way or at possible risk of death, because that is what holding that kind of belief
0: is. And so, really, if you are going to sort of define good as being totally committed to a set of ethics or morals that are you know, good in some definitions of set, whatever you sort of uh, set up your values as, then very much Serac is the goodest of the group (laughs) because he is willing to put his uh, entirety of what he believes and wants to see happen on the line. He is willing to go out there and sacrifice himself. If if that's the only way to sort of uh, proceed for him and he does it and yeah, it doesn't uh, turn out so well for him. But again, he is 100% willing to put, put his money, you know, put, put his money where his mouth is as it were.
1: You see, there's just this idea that's very much upheld in this episode it's upheld throughout the series in fact it was very pervasive in the american 1960s and 70s it was it's still pervasive now um some of the messaging started to die out later but it's the idea that you can achieve goodness through force and very specifically physical force
0: i will teach you to be better ah
1: in this instance the rock monster dude could be kind of seen as the external goal that you are trying to achieve through your conflict. This is the inciting force that is making it impossible not to fight. And you have reached a scenario where you are saying it is impossible to not fight each other. There is literally no other option. In fact, except in fact, Serac does demonstrate another option in not fighting. (laughs) But then they set it up as not fighting is tantamount to killing a lot of other people because they said that now you have to fight otherwise all of the crew dies.
0: Putting all sorts of extra weights on the situation in order to contrive a particular set of outcomes that are are the only ones allowed.
1: So this entire episode is a justification of American imperialism. Kind (laughs) of. Because you have the evil people who are doing exactly the same thing that you are but they're doing it to gain power where you are doing it to defend your way of life
0: yeah you know and uh, all those uh, you know uh, folks back home aka up in the spaceship and and, uh, America and apple pie and all that and if you don't go through these specific hoops that have been sort of set up arbitrarily because we decide so uh, then uh, you're going to be betraying all of that and everyone's going to die it's going to be your fault And that's just unconscionable. So go and murder those guys over there.
1: Well, because the good guys in this scenario are trying to achieve power to preserve their way of life. Whereas by contrast, they frame the villains as trying to achieve power as an end unto itself.
0: And they're not really good at defining what that power would be the form as either. But
1: But they want to achieve power just for the sake of achieving power. Which is the thing that we say about your enemies a lot. They're not fighting to defend their home. they're not fighting to secure their own way of life. They're fighting to achieve an undeserved amount of power.
0: Yeah, never mind if they're like, "This is their country, and they live there, and yeah, sure there might be you know, you know situations that we don't much like as outsiders, but there's it's still them basically trying to defend their homeland, you know.
1: Well, that's exactly the situation that they were trying to defend in a lot of these episodes. Because this is, I think, the third episode we've hit where they are trying to defend Americans' actions in Vietnam.
0: Which is a little weird, if you think about it. Well, the
1: popular sentiment was turning against the war during this time period we see it as hugely unpopular now but a lot of the things that were actually happening during vietnam were not something that the public was greatly aware of until nearer the end of the war
0: you mean there was atrocities there and no one told us that's impossible
1: yeah that would never happen
0: there's you know villages being burnt down because there was like one guy there that we didn't like whoops
1: So to summarize here, what you hit is this just magical dogpile of ideas to justify gaining power, but not for its own ends. Because first they refuse to fight, and that apparently has no negative consequences coming from the villains. Like, the villains choose not to attack them as as they don't fight. So you have no negative consequences coming from not fighting. Then they have to put those consequences artificially on saying well if you don't fight your entire way of life will be destroyed signified by just dis- the destruction of the enterprise our like home base that we're supposed to like full of the characters we care about then they are forced into fighting a scenario that they don't want to do then it's demonstrated that continuing to not fight would result in their own death by sending off Sirak to champion pacifism he's very much the hippie of this scenario and then, once they actually overwhelm the enemies using the same tactics that the enemies have been using, just killing them and making them run away, they want win just sort of arbitrarily. They didn't have to slaughter everyone, which is very convenient. They had to like get the one guy to trip on his own knife. It's a self-inflicted injury or an accidental death. So Kirk doesn't even have to kill someone. He just very conveniently winds up in a space where the guy has died. And then finally that is framed as good because even though they used the same tactics supposedly, even though they actually didn't, we are told that they used the same tactics because both resulted in violence. But their tactics were better because they were fighting to defend their friends and family magically but if you actually examine the episode itself they did not use the same tactics because they first tried a peaceful solution they first tried to not fight for as long as possible then they tried a peaceful solution then they tried to stealthily rescue their comrade with no intention of it being a direct assault and then only when directly attacked did they defend themselves
0: it's basically everything other than the, what they were sort of intended to do, they attempted. And yet the rock monster guys, like, hmm, well, now that you've both done the same thing, I don't know, I guess you guys win now.
1: Which I wouldn't like be harping on as much if the text of the episode didn't state two times that they used exactly the same tactics. Yeah, I'm not even saying that this form of violence that they employed, the self-defensive violence is necessarily always morally defensible, but it is different than aggressive violence. Indeed. And framing the two things as the same is just poised as an excuse a way to excuse all violence.
0: I guess the best way I could sort of, I guess wrap my brain around this to make it less kind of bleh, is to s- sort of you know, go back to the uh, the aliens there, the Xclibians or whatever the heck they are, uh, that they are just so kind of ignorant of how people actually operate that they don't know what not fighting is. I guess in some ways, <laughs> or you know what, how, how people's motivations work, or how they you know interact and converse and plan, and you know the uh, maybe they're assuming that no matter what. You know the uh, you know uh, Kirk and crew are, are are planning to do that it is going to be assumed that this is an attempt to overpower the opposition uh, and so I guess they are just sort of assuming that these things are the same thing they just can't see the difference between passive nonviolence and stabbing somebody I guess
1: but you see the idea that this is just a misunderstanding sure. is kind of thrown out by Kirk's not explaining it as a misunderstanding Yes. Fine. The alien is going, I don't understand what happened. Explain to me the difference between good and evil. This is the end of the episode where the alien is going, our experiment has failed. Explain to me the difference between this important thing you're trying to explore. And Kirk does not say the way we went about the encounter was completely different. He said, look at what we were fighting for.
0: Just sort of all motivation, know how we carry it out. And
1: there's a very big, consistent through line of that in a lot of not only this, but some other Star Trek series that I've been critical of in the past. And one of the main things that I feel like gets missed is this idea that anything is excusable as long as you are fighting to uphold something. But you really cannot use that as a justification to go against the thing you are supposedly trying to uphold. If you have a hard pacifism value you cannot kill people in order to defend your value of pacifism
0: it'd basically be undoing your value in the first place
1: so there's just a certain amount of not only what could you live with but basically what can your value system survive if you have a particular value system that is worth defending to you like dying instead of going against that value system makes more sense because if you have to betray your own values and not only personal, but societal morals in order to defend them, that is not going to leave you with the same society that you were supposedly defending.
0: And, uh, yeah, at the the very least you should be willing to sort of, you know, you know, take the, the backlash and try to make amends if you are find yourself weak enough to cause this violation and to learn from this mistake and say, oh, maybe this is not something I should have done.
1: Well, what we currently do, and this has been the thing throughout history, and they don't even touch upon that here because they are morally in the right, therefore anything they do is defensible. But the general tactic is to take a group of people, say this is our disposable group of people who we are going to send off to do morally reprehensible things, and absorb that for the remainder of the society, and then pretend that they didn't do it.
0: Yes, uh, and uh, we're going to call them heroes uh, as they do it.
1: Well, it depends on whether they won or not. One of the chief defining (laughs) characteristics of why a lot of the Vietnam War and the reason that we think of the damage caused to people by the Vietnam War was so bad was because it was like America's first sort of shameful loss in a foreign country a lot of the soldiers who came back from vietnam in addition to it having been a just horrifically run conflict where a lot of trauma was in, was incurred they were then blamed by the society at large for losing
0: and so you, you you're no longer the heroes you are now the cause of all the actual problems that we now have
1: So in the thing that they are trying to defend in this way, the actual end of that conflict was for us to take the people that we were already unfairly trying to put all of this reprehensible stuff onto so that the rest of society doesn't have to deal with it as a concept and tell them that they did it wrong.
0: Like, only if you had done dot, 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 then everything would have come out okay, and we would have been victorious. And and because you have failed to do that you are now you are now not acceptable and thus you are totally morally to blame for all of this
1: i feel like this episode just ticks me off any time that they're trying to defend the vietnam war in this show it's always a little weird but this episode in particular ticks me off for that because they're saying that the things they're doing in vietnam are defensible but then later we will like ruin so many people's lives in this country because we, like, blame them for the loss and we never actually have to, like, help them deal with the fact of the things that we made them do in the name of defending our country.
0: Having uh, some flashbacks to that uh, one movie, Across the Universe. Mm. Uh, did, did you ever see that?
1: I did. It was fine. Very weird hanging device for Beatles songs.
0: She's so heavy. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, so, yeah, so... The End of War was... Definitely a ridiculous scheme that was poorly managed and is generally kind of inexcusable, honestly. That there is, it was just kind of trying to maintain a status quo that was indefensible. And we, as the American public, didn't really understand what the heck was going on. And the people that were supposed to also kind of didn't either. And so, but they did know that we had to fight the commies. So let's keep doing that and we will be victorious because we are America. And we do have these people that we are going out there to sort of fight this battle for us. And they are, you know, morally upstanding people that can do no wrong. And, oh, they were unable to be successful. Now they are Now they're on the outs. And it's just such, such passing the buck there. It's just so ridiculous and frustrating.
1: Yeah, I can't really go into... All of the things that were annoying me in relation to that with this episode, because I'd have to go through a lot of history stuff that I don't feel like I have time to adequately cover.
0: Yeah, well, we can cover all of Vietnam War some other time.
1: Yeah, well, that was basically all I had. I wanted to like cover the actual things that the episode itself is saying, (laughs) because it's not like the things that it's trying to say are very different from the things that it actually said. As we already covered about midway through with their weird racism thing, uh, I would be a little remiss if I didn't point out exactly how racist this episode winds up, um, framing Genghis Khan as one of the most villain characters.
0: Yeah, I was actually gonna uh, t- talk about Genghis Khan, and uh, you know, it's like, okay, so so why why Genghis Khan? Because <laughs> there has been a lot of you know you know. You know People that conquerors, people that gone around, killed massive amounts of people for whatever cause, building their empires, you know, you know, horrible ideologies, whatever, throughout history. There's been a lot of people. So why Genghis Khan?
1: Well, because he was Asian and because he invaded the West. Oh, my God.
0: Exactly. Uh, yeah, you, you don't have, uh, you know, some random, you know, you know, uh, Hapsburgs or whatever there, you know, you know, you know, taking up the thing. They... I guess Colonel Green's supposed to be your sort of Hitler analog, but not really kind of, but sort of maybe, um, you know, there's, you could have had Napoleon there, you know, he wanted to take over all of Europe and was uh, pretty close there for a little while. Um, and then, you know, Russia happened. Uh, but, uh, you know, but these people now they're not even near the list. They could have even gone back a couple seasons to say we could have a different con, you know, you know, the, the you know, you know, con as in con! con, union soon. Uh, but they decided not to go that route. They had decided to go with the, the Eastern Menace who built an empire that was threatening the West. And once again, we're getting back to that yellow menace nonsense that uh, we've talked about before.
1: And they um, decided still, to yeah. double down on that as well because they had Genghis Khan and then standing right next to him is Kaelas and the Klingons being their Orientalist sort of stand-in group that... um. Saying that this one guy is the father of all Klingon philosophy, basing and putting it in opposition to Sirach as the father of Vulcan philosophy, they are condemning the entire Klingon people as a race. They're saying their philosophy is fundamentally evil. As this is one of the largest, the, like, most evil villains in the history of the universe is the representation of their philosophy as also representing Asian peoples, just generally.
0: I guess to a a certain point, I could kind of...
1: Also, Zora was coded slightly Asian.
0: Yeah, some of this was due to these are the concepts of these characters as understood by the Enterprise crew and the, you know, the records on the Enterprise. And so they're probably not super representative of the actual realities of these uh, historical figures. Uh, But even then, (laughs) that really does not excuse it.
1: (laughs) But that's exactly the same problem we're talking about. Because writing Genghis Khan into an episode, you know, that's not an accurate representation of the historical figure Genghis Khan. Mm-hmm. This is the racist idea that Gene Roddenberry exactly. has of Genghis Khan.
0: Uh, Gene Roddenberry wasn't working on the show at this point, but yeah, they, they, whoever well, the I, producer I, was, yeah, the new I guy. actually
1: like lost it in the. I didn't mention it. I forgot to mention it in the beginning. Okay. But this episode was written by Gene Roddenberry and someone named Arthur. Uh, Heinemann.
0: Well, never mind that.
1: <laughs> Based on an original story by Gene Roddenberry.
0: Well, dang it, Gene, you made me wrong.
1: So all of the villain characters are Asian, except for the one white guy who talks and is friendly and is their That's de facto right. leader. And defeating the one white guy is all they needed to do to be declared the victors.
0: So... Yeah, it's a li- the, the the race politics here is a little obvious. Um, but uh, maybe this is a good opportunity to actually maybe talk about the actual Genghis Khan for a little bit.
1: Sure, because he's just so, Alexander the Great, but Asian, and we hate him for that.
0: <laughs> because he's from a different continent, yes. So, uh, you know, uh, he was uh, around like in the, uh, the 12th century, right? I guess maybe the early 13th century. Uh, and, uh, you know, Temujin uh, is also another name he went by. And uh, he helped sort of basically organize and get together a bunch of, uh, you know, tribal groups in uh, the the Asian steppe. And, you know, and it's like, oh, well, now we're kind of united. We're going to do a thing. And, uh, you know, sort of, I guess, formed up a government that was kind of unusual and unique in a lot of ways. And, uh, and that started the whole Mongol Empire expansion sort of things. Um, you know, I don't really have the time to go through every little bit of campaigning here or there. But uh, long story short, uh, crossed a large section of the, uh, you know, uh, the Asian continent, but uh, did, was not the guy in charge still when the, I guess it was at its peak. I think that was uh, Kublai Khan, right? Was it? I think so. Sorry. Kind of half half remembering some things here. Um, but, uh, you know, so the, he got like, you know, over the Caspian Sea, over to Korea, a little bit into China, Um, But wasn't, you know, hadn't established the Yuan dynasty, that sort of thing yet. Um, But uh, the, I guess one of the interesting things about, uh, you know, the the sort of the Mongol Empire is that it was kind of very different than a lot of the sort of empires and nations that existed at the time. That they were sort of the exception to the rule as far as sort of how things were just generally run. Like, yeah, you are a different religion. Neat, come and hang out, we'll go talk philosophy as opposed to, you know, spurns we in uh, uh reconquest or whatever at Spain there, and we're gonna just kinda try to murder everyone that's of a different religion now. Um and so you, you there's some sort of interesting, unique sort of social dynamics that ha- kinda happened in the Mongol Empire that you know, sure a lot of it was built on the bodies of everyone they killed, but compared to everyone else who was also building everything on the bodies of the people they're killing there are kind of less assholes about it
1: well it's not like we criticize rome for doing that or most of the greek city-states or yeah, anybody like, else like, like alexander the great who conquered as much territory as genghis khan did
0: but but he was coming out of macedonia and thus was european and thus okay.
1: That was an interesting thing that I just learned, though, that the way we think about, not as important for like the discussion generally, but the thing that we talk about with religious tolerance in older empires, there was such a strong belief in the like empire being sanctified by whatever variety of gods. The more gods you could get on side, the better.
0: So yeah, uh, come ha- come come, bless us, Mr. Uh, you know, Bishop guy. We're, we're cool, if you're God helping us out.
1: <laughs> because if you already have a polytheistic society, just incorporating more gods is not a problem. It doesn't create the same self-contradiction that a monotheistic society does.
0: Which I guess I guess then kind of runs into that, that, that extra problem going back to that good versus evil thing. You know, the good versus evil thing is kind of a thing that... C- comes out of a lot of monotheistic sort of thinking that there is the, the the great good and the great evil sort of in opposition in some fashion, which is like all Zoroastrian sort of uh, origins back then. Uh, And that sort of has evolved into, you know, God versus the devil or uh, later Abrahamic faiths. Uh, And so you get sort of this, this, this sort of dynamic that really wasn't present in, you know, 12th century Steppe Asia. Well, I
1: was just reading this very interesting thing that sort of played to that idea that in like older writings, like they were specifically referencing the differences between the um, Iliad and the Bible. And in the Iliad, you frame a conflict between the you know, Greeks. I can't remember the actual name because Greek was an invention of later Roman society. But uh, you the know, Hellenistic peoples. Yeah, the Hellenistic peoples and the and the Trojan peoples. They frame that as a very equal, respectful conflict where both sides are trying to test which one of them has the gods' favor. Both of them acknowledge that they each have gods on their side and that they're not sure which of those gods care about them more. Yep. But they're there to, like, test their strength against each other in a very respectful, organized, honor-based way.
0: So let's go have a little war.
1: But when you get to something like christianity that's based on a monotheistic religion any of the abrahamic faiths Um, in the bible when you frame something like the conflict between the jewish peoples and the philistines which is people who were so dehumanized that is now a byword for depraved or stupid like people you don't like it has entered our our vocabulary as just a byword for dehumanization but they are framed as simply a like a people to be disrespected, a animalistic, unimportant not to be respected, someone who like doesn't have God on their side and is therefore evil so uh,
0: got to reject these guys because they are uh, they are with
1: see evil, the concept of evil is inherently dehumanizing because someone who does evil can't be human because humans are good
0: and so you know if you just Slap evil on everyone you don't like. Suddenly, you, you don't have to treat them as actual people anymore.
1: Yeah, it's pretty easy. it's, it's,
0: yeah, it's so the, as such, it's a t- it's a label I don't like to put on people. I might, uh, you know, put it on specific actions, but you know. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's very problematic when you actually apply it to people as in this is an inherent quality of them because that's not actually true.
1: It's so difficult. I even often I will still use the term, but I'll even often try not to apply it to actions because that just leads so easily into our modern way of thinking of applying it back on the people. Yeah. You can look at the action and say, how harmful slash beneficial was this action to what variety of people? and try to examine it that way. But yes, putting this intense moralizing on on these ideas, is it's leading to a lot of problems when we can just write off groups of people as bad or evil. And then if you Indeed. buy into this idea, you lead to the other problem, that you as a person, of course, are not evil. You would never be evil since evil is a binary against good. You personally could never be evil, and therefore anything that you do must not be evil. And anyone who does a similar thing to you must also not be evil.
0: But, but Gepwin, I'm evil, <laughs> right?
1: We get this wonderful <laughs> Disney villain idea of evil, where an evil person does evil things for the fact of being evil. Yes, They have no other motivation other than to enjoy being evil.
0: I believe the, uh, I guess the iconic sort of version of that is actually Ming the Merciless from Flash Gordon. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, you're twiddling your, your mustache and going, Mwahaha, I'm doing this for the evils. Which is a whole other thing with Flash Gordon, but anyway.
1: <laughs> well, you get exactly the same thing in this, who also all have mustaches except for the one character who has eyebrows. Mm-hmm. I guess Green doesn't because Green gets to be the white dude.
0: You know, Green is the, uh, uh, I guess respectable version of evil in what they're trying to sort of do here. Ugh. I guess mm-hmm. I guess maybe it is also maybe trying to be charitable again here, sorry you can feel free to stop me here. <laughs> you know, that a demonstration that evil could also be a white guy. Eh.
1: Sort yeah. of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's very nice about it. It's also very um it, it was very disappointing. That they didn't go with the let's all team up together and learn that we're not actually all that bad together as good and evil and like defeat the rock dudes. And then they go, Oh no, what's the difference in good and evil? It's like it's that you tried to do this thing, you're the evil one. Learn from that,
0: yeah. Because I guess, as I said, kind of going back to the you know, these are maybe the sort of the characters of the uh, these figures that as understood by Kirk and company that you know. Maybe they made them too good and they're like, wait a moment, we don't have to like follow our programming here. Um, so maybe we can team up against the, the Rock guys. I know I still have this compulsion to kill you, Kirk, but I, I kind of don't like being pushed around by this guy more.
1: If you're even, If you're trying to say that the characters are like this because it's how the crew envisions them, it's even worse. Because then you get into this thing that the actual mm-hmm. stated idea of the show, that the crew is above such dehumanizing ideas and values is wrong because this is how they yep. think of people.
0: Yep, I'm, I'm going to go there. <laughs> this is how they think of people and they just tell themselves that they're above all this nonsense.
1: I think that we've covered more than this episode has any right to.
0: They <laughs> condemned all the original series of the process.
1: I mean, yeah, I do that a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I, I was trying to set up my, my, like, trying to defend this episode but make it you know look look worse but we finally got there we got got there at the end
1: <laughs> all right we got off of super depressing topics like Vietnam but we still on slightly depressing topics like all of human history so let's go to something slightly less depressing with the galaxy's favorite game show <laughs>
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Game Show, portion of the show. I hope you're having a good night out there today. Uh, everyone's everyone socially distancing? I hope they are. I'm wearing a mask, maybe 15 of them, just to be safe. But uh, this time we got some points racked up here from various contestants. We got a lot of contestants this week, but uh, we got a few prizes to hand out all the same. We got, uh, first off, the first prize is a sufficiently advanced alien, which goes out to the Excalbians for being able to magic up people out of apparently nothing, or maybe themselves. It's not entirely clear. Also, to terraform large sections of the planet without much of a hassle at all. What do they win, Gapwin? They win a
1: resort hotel to manage on their own planet because they've got all this stuff and they haven't set up some sort of like vacation destination planet that could let them learn more about human existence than any weird fight to the death and they can make their own hot springs just by sitting in them
0: that would be glorious i think ho ho uh it, it, i'm actually also having a flashback to an episode of doctor who for this last season Hmm. anyway our second ward is the ultimate showdown award which goes to basically everyone that wasn't the next calabian on the planet uh i think maybe uh representing the ideals of or something of good and evil baby um anyway the aliens say they got to fight to the death so time to fight to the death What do they win Capone? They
1: win signature weapons because, one, I'm still disappointed by the Vulcan boomerang not making an appearance. Don't mention the boomerang if you're not going to give us a boomerang. Yeah. But also, there's a reason that everyone remembers the Kirk-Spock showdown and nobody remembers this, and it's because they had signature ridiculous weapons.
0: Indeed. This, you know, I know the Batleth didn't pop up until much later, but this will be a great opportunity to have it show up for the first time, you know? Our last prize is the ass-kicking president prize, which goes to Abraham Lincoln, but not just the one in the show, also the real one that actually existed for beating up all those considerates and showing them who's boss. Yeah! What does, what does Abraham Lincoln in all his incarnations win, Gepwin? Oh, just
1: theater tickets.
0: Oh, 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 uh-oh. Um, um, that's awkward. Um... Moving on, um, I'm out of uh, prizes here. Uh, take it away, Gavin.
1: Thank you, everyone. Thank you, all of our contestants, for joining us and not dying in a pointless fight to the death to, to codify two needlessly arbitrary concepts. And thank you all for being here on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Woo!
0: next week less arbitrary i have
1: no idea because i've i've heard of this but i don't know anything about it
0: same i i hear it might be might have been a good episode to like end the series on but they didn't
1: <laughs> great <laughs> the next week's episode is the penultimate episode for anyone like me who doesn't pay the attention to words that means second to last
0: mm-hmm. it's like the the extra ultimate but not really
1: yeah it's called All Our Yesterdays.
0: So you got different yesterdays, different pasts, all coming up to this present that we have here now? A, a whole uh, time-space continuum divergent point that all converges on this particular moment?
1: Yeah, it's it's seems to be a time travel episode, but not an Earth time travel episode.
0: Alien time travel episode. We get to experience an alien civilization from... Different time periods, I guess.
1: Yeah, just jumping through different points in history, which is kind of interesting. We'll see how that goes. There's apparently a beautiful woman involved, so that doesn't sound great.
0: Well, it could just be a Chrono Trigger. Still haven't played Did that. You ever play
1: that. That'd be fun to play. <laughs> Still haven't gotten a chance <laughs> to play that.
0: All right. Uh, you know, Gepwin, before we, we get on to the next series after this, uh, your assignment is to play Chrono Trigger, and then we can have an ep- like a one off episode sometime about it.
1: <laughs> That'd be fun. Though. That means that the next season isn't going to be for like three years with the way I play JRPGs.
0: Uh-oh. Um, all right, we'll get started and we'll, we'll record that episode three se- series down. Like Sounds that. good. <laughs> so around the time we're done with the uh, DS9 or Voyager or something like that.
1: <laughs> okay, so we'll figure out time travel or whatever the fic is going on in this episode. And then soon enough, we'll be on to the last worst episode of the series (laughs) but first this one that might be better somehow next week on watchers of tomorrow
0: next time on watchers of tomorrow we'll need a tardis to sort this one out you have been listening to watchers of tomorrow a podcast on science fiction media Find and follow Watches of Tomorrow on Podbeam, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more, and where possible, make sure to rate your experience, or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on YouTube.com slash Gepwin, and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix on youtube.com slash Dr. and Twitter at IzzixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, Please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter that you that is now no longer exists.